Hello and welcome to the Alive Church in Newark podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We hope that you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged and inspired to pursue the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message. So uh, this morning we are going to be continuing in our series on David. We are drawing towards the end of this series, um, but I've really enjoyed it. I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed this series over the last couple of months. And um, what I've really liked about it is the variety of the things we've been able to look at. We've been able to look at um, the life of King David, the history of King David, looking through accounts in the Old Testament of what he did and how we can learn from that. Um, But we've also been able to look at David's writings, some of the Psalms, um, and I love that as well. I love the variety. I love that when we look at the Psalms, we see some of David's vulnerability, some of his humanity, his emotions. There's a lot more rawness and a lot more honesty in his Psalms, and he takes us on a journey through them. Sometimes he is very, very open and clear about his feelings towards God, and then towards the end of the Psalm, he always turns back to worship and I just love that we've had the opportunity to look at, we looked at Psalm 23 and Psalm 51, and this morning we're going to look at another of David's Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 139. Now, um, as, you're finding, as you're finding that Psalm in your Bibles, this is a Psalm that you probably know pieces of, but maybe don't know the whole Psalm. As I was reading through it, there were certainly lines that I was more familiar with than others, because often this Psalm, pieces of it are taken and used um, almost as sound bites, I guess. We speak them more regularly than the rest of the Psalm. But I am so excited this morning to look through this Psalm in its entirety and go on the journey that David is going on as he's writing these words and seeing um, where that takes us. So I'm going to pray before we start. Lord, we thank you for the writings of David. We thank you that we get to see some of his vulnerability and his emotion and um, the rawness and humanity of David. And we pray, Lord, that as we go on the journey through this psalm this morning, uh, that you would take us on it along with David, that we would learn something more of who you are. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read through Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. 
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So you may have noticed when um, reading through that, if you've got a paper Bible in front of you, um, or maybe even not, that it is split into four sections. If this were a poem, we'd call them verses, but it's a bit confusing because they're already labelled as verses. So I'm going to call them stanzas because that's a fancy word that I would like to use today. So there are four stanzas in this psalm, and you might even see in your Bible page breaks between them. Um, And we're going to go through them. That's how we're going to approach this psalm this morning. We're going to go through one at a time. And so this first stanza that David writes, he is talking here about the omniscience of God. Now, omniscience is a word made up of two words, omni meaning all and science meaning knowledge. And so David is talking about the all-knowing of God, the omniscience of God, the fact that God knows everything. And we see David talk about that in the first part of this stanza. He talks about how God knows everything that we do, everything that we think, every way that we spend our time, everything that we say. And David uses something throughout this psalm, actually, but first we first see it in this stanza, something called a merism. Are we feeling like we're in a GCSE English lesson today? A merism. So a merism is a literary device, which is uh, when someone uses something at one end of a scale and something at the other end of a scale, usually like mutually exclusive things, and by using both of those things, they're talking about everything that lies between. And so the first one of those that we see is, you know when I sit and when I rise. So being sat down, choosing to sit down, and then choosing to get up, they're two mutually exclusive things. And David's saying that whatever I do, whether it's choosing to sit, whether it's choosing to get up, or everything in between, God, you see everything that I do. You perceive my thoughts from afar, and then we happen across another merism. You discern my going out and my lying down. Our going out in the morning, and our coming home in the evening and lying down, and everything in between, the whole way that we spend our day. God knows everything about it. And he knows every word that is on our tongue. I have to really think before I say tongue. Tongue. It's tongue, isn't it? But I say tongue every time. I know that's wrong, but it's going to happen. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows everything that we're going to say before we say it. And what I love here is that David is talking about the omniscience of God, but he's talking about it in a really personal way. I think when we think about gathering knowledge or when we think about God having lots of knowledge, it can often be facts and figures and how things work and how to do things. But David's not talking about that aspect of God. Of course, God knows all those facts and figures and how things work. But, God is, um, but David is talking about how God knows us. God knows everything we do, everything we think and say. God knows us personally. And our reaction to knowing that God knows us so personally can be one of two things, I think. You know, you may have someone in your life, a friend or someone that you're married to, who knows you really, really well, who can finish your sentences, who knows what you like and what you don't like, who can anticipate your needs, who knows you really well. 
And there's often a lot of comfort in that, in knowing that someone knows you and accepts you. There's a lot of comfort in being known. And there can be a lot of comfort from knowing that God knows us intimately, from knowing that the creator of the heavens and the earth knows us intimately. There's a lot of comfort in that. And that can be one way that we respond to the omniscience of God. But the other way we can respond is actually with fear and with fleeing and with wanting to get as far away from God as possible. Because there are parts of us, things that we think, things that we say or almost say, things that we do, that we don't want anyone to know about, let alone God. And sometimes a revelation of God's knowledge about us, the fact that he knows everything about us, can lead us to want to be as far away from his presence as possible. And actually that reaction is very human and it is as old as the fall. If you think back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate it. And the first thing that they did after that is they went and hid from God. They wanted to be as far from God as possible because they understood what they were like in relation to who God is. And knowing that God knew about them, they wanted to flee as far as possible. But we know, don't we, from that story in the Garden of Eden, that it's not possible to get away from the presence of God. Often when we hear people talk about the fall and God asks Adam, where are you? And we almost find that a little bit amusing because we know that, of course, God already knows where Adam is. He already is there with him. He already knows. And we see this kind of sentiment from David going into the next stanza of this psalm. We see him being aware of the fact that God knows everything about him. And he wonders at that. He finds it amazing that God knows everything about him. But his thoughts turn to getting away from the presence of God. Getting away from the presence of God. And we see some more merisms as we head into here because David understands that God's presence is everywhere, that he can't get away from it. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. From the heavens to the middle of the earth, God is everywhere in between. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, so David's talking here about the fact that the sun comes up in the east. If he's all the way in the east, if he rises with the dawn, if he settles on the far side of the sea, and he's talking here about the Mediterranean Sea. And the far side of the Mediterranean Sea from where David would have been in Israel would be over in the west towards Spain. So he's saying from the east where the sun rises to the west, the far side of the sea, and everywhere in between, God, you are there. David knows that he can't get away from the presence of God. And as I was reading this, I was kind of reminded as well of Jonah. So many of you may know the story of Jonah. It's just another example of wanting to flee from the presence of God and not being able to. God speaks to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach about me in Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, thank you. I will not be doing that. And he turns around and he runs in the opposite direction and he gets on a boat and he gets caught in a storm and he ends up in the middle, in the belly of a fish. And he thinks he's going as far away from God as he can, but God always finds him. It's just this continually recurring theme throughout Scripture of people wanting to be apart from God because we realize the sin in us and we realize the disparity between us and God and we want to get away from God and God's saying, no, I am everywhere. I am everywhere. Now, it might be that as I was reading through this in its entirety a few minutes ago, that when I was reading these words, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? you um, kind of read those and heard those is actually a really comforting thing. Where can I go, God, from you? You are everywhere, and it's amazing. 
Where can I flee from your presence? I can't, and you're with me all the time. And these are kind of some of the lines in this psalm that I mentioned that you may be more familiar with, these kind of ideas. And it may be that today we are feeling our response to God knowing us is comfort, is wanting to be in God's presence, is being very happy with the fact that we can't flee from God. But it might be that we read it and we think, I relate with what this is saying here in terms of wanting to hide. Surely the darkness will hide me. Can the darkness please hide me? It may be that we're feeling that we want to flee from the presence of God. And I love that as we read through this psalm, it kind of meets us wherever we're at, whether we're feeling a comfort response to God or whether we're feeling like we want to be away from God because he knows us so deeply and we don't feel comfortable with that, that we can read that into this psalm. And you know, David might be writing here about wanting to flee from God and wanting to hide from God. But David doesn't always feel that way about the presence of God. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 23, and David talks in that psalm about how much he loves being in the presence of God. How even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God's presence is with him, and he's grateful for it. And so we know that although David may be feeling in this moment like he wants to flee from the presence of God, he also, we also know that he values the presence of God, and he loves being in the presence of God. And I think that Again, it's just so great to see the humanity of David and to relate to that because I'm sure for all of us there have been times where we want to flee from the presence of God, but there have also been times where we have drawn comfort and strength from knowing that God's presence is with us, that we've valued the presence of God. What I think is really interesting is that Psalm 23 was written towards the end of David's life. And um, that is when David is kind of talking about how He's glad that God is with him. He's spent a lifetime with God. He has known God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness time and time again. And he has kind of got to a place where knowing that God knows him is okay because he knows that there's forgiveness in God's presence. He knows that there's mercy and grace. And I think it's the same for us as well. When, when, uh, when we first encounter God, we can sometimes feel like we don't want him to know the deepest parts of us. And that can kind of resurge over time but as we walk with Jesus and we understand his grace and his forgiveness it means that we can find ourselves comfortable in the presence of God and then at the start of this second section David says he starts with the word for for you created my inmost being now starting with for kind of implies that it's related to the things that he's spoken about in those first two stanzas the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God, God's all-presentness. For you created my inmost being. And it's almost like David has this revelation of, you, of course, God, you want to know me. Of course, you want your presence to be with me. For you created me. For you created my inmost being. It's this realization of, God has created me so obviously he wants to know me deeply. He wants to be with me. And then David finds wonder in that, and he starts to praise God. His response is praise. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. He realizes why it is that God wants to be near him. And his response is praise, and it's worship, and it's adoration. It's good to know, isn't it, that God doesn't just create us and then leave us. He didn't just create Adam and Eve and kind of set the process of life going and then leave us. The language that we see here in this section is one of crafting and of care and of intimate knowledge of us, that God knits us together. 
that our frame wasn't hidden from him. It's, there's so much care and so much love in the way that God puts together. And then because of that, he wants to know everything about us and he wants to be with us. He wants his presence to be known to us. And I think that is so good to know that we weren't just created and left. But what does that really mean for us on a day-to-day basis, this knowledge and this, this realization? I think for me, it's kind of, if God, or because God, spent so much time and effort and care over creating each one of us, if he wants to know us, if he wants his presence to be with us, then surely there is a reason for our existence. Surely there is a purpose to our lives. Why would God spend so much time and care and spend so much time knowing us and being with us if there was no reason for us being here? And I think this just talks to the fact that God has a purpose for us. We read that elsewhere in Scripture, I know that, but I think there's something really fundamental in here about about God taking that time and having a purpose for each one of us. And it might be that we're coming to this psalm with feelings of um, wanting to be apart from God. And so I hope that knowing that God has created you and that's why he wants to be near you gives some kind of encouragement and excitement around, no, do you know what? God wants to be near me because he loves me and he created me and he has a purpose for me. And if we're coming to this psalm, knowing the presence of God and the comfort that it brings, my prayer is that that would continue to encourage and uplift us, that yes, God does have a purpose for us. But then as we head into the fourth stanza, things take a weird turn, don't they? They take a weird turn. David's talking about how wonderful God is and how when he wakes up, God is still with us. And then he starts talking about how he wishes God would kill all his enemies. It takes a really weird turn. It turns from wonder to worry. You know, David's been on this journey of understanding that God wants to know him, understanding that God wants to be near him, and that David does not want that. He's fleeing from that. And then he comes to this revelation that God created him, and that's why all that's happening, and he's praising, and he's worshiping God. And then suddenly, he's worrying about his very real situation that he finds himself in with people that want to kill him. And I think, potentially, I was going to say we've all been there. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that's been there. But there have been times where I've been enjoying the presence of God, maybe in worship or in prayer time or listening to a sermon or whatever it might be. And then suddenly, I'm reminded of the very real situation that, my, that I'm finding myself in. And it might be that you've done the same thing, that during worship on a Sunday, you've suddenly been reminded of what your Monday morning looks like, or what it is that you're going home to after church on a Sunday, or what it is that you're just dealing with all the time. And it can be during those times of being and enjoying the presence of God that that reality suddenly hits us. But David uses the learnings that he's kind of processed and talked through in the psalm up to this point. He uses that to deal with the worry and the anxiety and the situation that he has, because he chooses very firmly to side with God. We see that these people that are trying to hurt him are people who are speaking of God with evil intent and misusing the name of God. And David decides, I want to side with you, Lord. I don't want to side with those people. If they're your enemies, they're my enemies. I want to be fully on your side. And we have to remember the same thing when we are in worship and suddenly we're reminded of our situation in life. We have to 
side with God. We have to, when we're singing words like, God, you are a way maker, and we are reminded of the fact that we're stuck in a situation where there's no way forward, we have to remind ourselves, no, God, I'm siding with you. I'm believing that you are a way maker. And then at the end of this psalm, David comes full circle, right, from what he talks about at the start. He starts with saying, you have searched me, Lord, almost like it's something that he didn't want to happen. It's just happened to him. You have searched me, Lord. And he ends with saying, search me, God, and know my heart. He ends up opening his heart and his life to God and saying, come and search me. Come and find what is in me that doesn't want to be there. Come and comfort the parts of me that are anxious. We often talk, don't we, when we talk about God searching us, of finding sin in our lives, sin in our heart, and helping us to deal with it. And David is asking for that. He's saying, um, he's saying, see if there is any offensive way in me. David wants his sin to be revealed so that God can deal with it and can lead him in the way everlasting that we read about. But he's also asking God to search out his anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He wants God to know more about who he is. He wants God to know more about the things that he's doing that he shouldn't be doing to help him. He wants the comfort of God. We often think about it being just sin. Like when we open our hearts to God, that God's going to find the sin in us and point it out. But he's also going to find the things that worry us and help us and counsel and guide us through them. And so my challenge this morning is, can we come to a place where we, like David, say to God, search me, God. Know my heart, know my ways, find anything offensive in me. Can we be vulnerable with God and open our hearts to him? That's my challenge this morning. And so it might be that this this morning is the first time that you've really heard or thought about God knowing you and loving you and wanting to be with you. And in a moment, we're going to have a time where there's the opportunity to respond and to uh, give our lives to Jesus, either for the first time or afresh. And we'll go through a prayer together in a moment where um, it's a very simple prayer, and we'll pray that together. And then I'll ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads, and we will um, we'll be able to respond to that. But for those of us who, who know God... I'd love you to have a think about where, where are we? Where is each one of us on this journey of being comfortable with being known by God, of wanting to be in his presence rather than feeling that we need to be apart because we're not worthy to be in the presence of God? Have we understood that we are made and loved and created intimately by God? And have we come to a place where we can open our hearts to him and allow him into every deep and dark part of us? I'd love us to think about that as we, um, as we close in prayer this morning. But first, we're going to read through this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. With your help, I will live my life for you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining with us. We hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did enjoy, you can subscribe to hear more from Alive Church Newark. You can share this message with your friends or you can share on your social media pages. We hope and pray you have a great week and meet with God. God bless you.